seeking collaborations with influential people, at GZPR, we create passion-fueled collaborations that go beyond traditional representation, a performance agency that onboards new clients every month. Our focus is on POC collaborations. Contact us now at hellogzpr.com, a self-aware public relations agency exploring world perspectives with leading talents. Hello and welcome. My name is Tiffany Farag and welcome to Get to Know You, a podcast for those who want to open conversations and access deeper dialogue, where conversations can become stronger when we explore our thinking and behavior. Every Tuesday, a new question will be asked to a guest speaker. Genuine people here to have insightful conversations. My guest speaker today is a Nigerian-born Dublin-based relationship coach on a mission to help people cultivate meaning in their relational lives. He helps individuals and couples redefine the relationship they have with themselves with questions from, what is the nature of your self-perception? Do you think lowly or highly of yourself? And if so, why? What are your fundamental values? And which of them would you trade if you had to? Which of your beliefs are serving you well? And which ones do you need to review and potentially get rid of? He takes a deep fundamentalist approach in a bid to deepen your self-awareness and clarity of mind. To be a functional part of any relationship, you must first of all contend with yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and elucidate what you want, why you want what you want, as well as distinguish between said wants, nice-to-haves, and needs, must-to-haves. He first takes... He first asks you to redefine the relationship you have with yourself, and this informs how you show up in your external dealings. His method highlights that love and well-functioning mechanics, overall compatibility, give rise to a successful relationship. To know more about this man, you can find him at harryudo.com. Welcoming Harry Udo to get to know you. Welcome, Harry. Hey, Tiff. Lovely to be here. I'm glad we finally get to sit down and get this show on the road. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you on. Like, we're so great Likewise. To, connect, to connect with you. And uh, mm. yeah, I'm so intrigued to dive into this question with you. But before that, I guess it's like, tell us a bit about your experience as a relationship coach and like um, how it all started mm. for you. Well, that's a brilliant question. And I think to give a, an all-encompassing answer, I have to give a short history lesson. Okay. Sure. So I was born in Nigeria. Um, and for the first five years of my life, I had no siblings. Um, I now have three siblings, but at the time myself, my mom and my dad, we sort of existed in this microcosm. And, you know, I remember we would listen to like music and we would dance together. We used to eat from like the same, the same bowl. It was just like, you know, the, the, how could I, how can I explain this? You know, as a, as a child, whatever my conception was of, you know, the pinnacle of living, that's what I experienced experience in the first five years of life with my parents. However, my parents, uh, when I turned six, kind of five, they're, they're bridging the gap between five and six in and around then, they decided to go their separate ways. So as you can imagine, for me, this seemed like my entire life was just sort of crumbling before my eyes, everything I'd known, right? The sort of safety and security that I'd come to associate with that unit that was myself, my mom, and my dad, that was, that was no more. And if I'm being honest with you, the the divorce itself, the separation, it, it was quite a nasty one, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I remember being so shocked and so perturbed by the sort of sudden, what to me seemed like such a sudden shift, right? In, you know, we're, we're, we're in one state and operating within one realm. And before I know it, it's like we're, we're in this sort of great unknown, you know, what mm-hmm. does the future look like for, for us? What does it look like for our family, you know? And of course, as a, as a five, six-year-old kid, you know, you're not necessarily being told what's really going on because of, you know, because of where you are in your development. But for me, I guess that just made me very curious. You know what I mean? I I became so taken by this question of like, why, why do, why do relationships break down? You know, what, what caused my parents' relationship to break down? You know, I I wanted to were questioning that? You were questioning that at that age? Yeah, yeah, because because I was just I was so shocked, you know what I mean? I was so perplexed. Mm. So I'm trying to understand because from from my perspective, you know, through my childish lens at the time, we had something beautiful. We had something perfect even. Mm. So I'm trying to understand well, if this there was perfection on one end, how does perfection sort of degenerate into absence and separation and, and, and loss, you know? And I suppose the, as I started to grow older, I would continue asking these questions. Um, I was that kid who was always sort of asking my grandparents' friends like, Oh, do you, do you, so do you, do you and your, do you fight with your wife or do you fight with your husband? And, you know, do you sleep in the same room? Do you, do you eat together? And, you know, it was always like, you're such an invasive kid, but I, I was really, I mean, honestly speaking, I was probably traumatized, you know, from the sure. breakdown of my parents' relationship, especially because of the events that followed. Um, and for me, I saw firsthand how the breakdown of an institution can affect not only the the individuals that are directly involved, so not just me, my mom, my dad, but also my grandparents. Um, at this point, you know, my siblings, um, my uncles my aunties and it was really just really mind-blowing to me you know what I mean Mm. how this one this microcosm had such a huge effect on the macrocosm that was the overview of our familial life like a a ripple effect oh yeah oh yeah and it was um very very exciting but definitely very traumatic to me at the time so anyway I go into my I go into my teenage years and like any teenager, right? Your sort of teenage relational, relational trajectory is punctuated by, you know, highlights and, and lowlights, right? Moments where, because you're still trying to figure out who, who, who am I? And then on top of trying to figure out who am I, I'm balancing that against, you know, peer pressure and external expectations and wanting to be liked, wanting to please. So, that was, you know, I would say pretty standard, you know, we all go through that sort of developmental period. But um, I remember I left Nigeria, you know, and I decided to come to Ireland, actually, to reconnect with my mom. And, um, you know, I got here, and I got into a relationship. This was my first year of college. So I was studying sociology at the time in Trinity College here in Dublin. And, you know, I met this woman. And um, I... I acknowledged pretty early on that, okay, what I feel in terms of this sort of emotional predisposition, um, I don't think I felt anything this visceral mm. before. So that was very interesting. I'm like, oh, I think, I think I'm in love with this person, right? But then instantly I think back to my parents' relationship, like, oh, wait, a my parents were in love with each other. And, 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 and look, look what happened. So I thought to myself, well, love is not enough right to 
if I want this to work or, you know, whatever that looks like, I'm going to have to focus on the mechanical side to things because that's what happened to my parents' relationship. I don't believe it broke down because of a lack of, you know, emotional um, proclivity to each other. I I thought, well, I feel as though it was down to a mechanical imbalance. Mm -hmm. So what that did was it prompted me to start asking questions like, okay, what is a good relationship? What, What does that look like? And that idea of good, where, where does that come from, right? Where does that come from? Why is it important to start having to have boundaries in a relationship? What, what are boundaries, right? So I start to look at, you know, work from giants like John and Julie Gottman, Esther Perel, you know, Guy Winch, Tony Robbins, Thich Nahan, you know, really trying to answer a lot of these questions because I was driven to be the best partner that I could be on account of the trauma of the past. I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And, you know, myself and myself and my girlfriend at the time, we had a, we ended up having a robust relationship. We were together for nearly four and a half years, four and a half, five years in, 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 in and around then. And, um, I thought, I thought I missed a relationship, right? Cause mm. I'm asking all these questions and, you know, I'm learning about value systems and all this stuff. Um, and this is where, you know, when you think you're so sure of something, you're so sure of something, you almost then develop this absolutist paradigm um, from which you operate because, well, if I'm so sure, then I'm not even considering any other alternatives because I know it all. Yeah. Okay. And that would end up being my, own undoing. Now, you know, the story has a few layers to it. So around the same time that I got into the relationship, I came across a Tony Robbins TED talk. Um, Funny enough, after, after a breakup. So I got out of one relationship and there was an intermission in that during that intermission, before I met my girlfriend, the girlfriend that I'm talking about now, I came across Tony Robbins and that was where my, my coaching journey began because I was so taken by the conviction with which he, he presented himself and the way he spoke. And I remember thinking, Oh, I I like, I like what he's doing. I feel like I, that should, I need to be on stage speaking and helping. And I start looking into him and at the same time I'm in college and you know, all this stuff is happening in the relationship. So there were a few different things happening at the same time. So when I look back, it just seems like, you know, things were just sort of aligning, although it didn't feel like that at the time, you know, to be honest with you. Sure. But um, anyway, after, after four years of, you know, sort of studying and trying to be the best partner that I could be, my relationship came to, came to an end. You know, my, my girlfriend decided that she wanted to go in a different direction. And for me, that completely, you know, brought me to my knees because, you know, I missed a, I missed a relationship. Mm. you know i've got all the answers i'm the ideal <laughs> i'm the ideal partner how are you gonna leave me i'm the idea you know i'm the yeah, ideal partner sure. so um the effect of this was i ended up in a deep depression and i don't want to put it all on the breakup there were certain other things in my life that at the time were just misaligned so i think that all those things taken together plus the breakup and i found myself in the you know, in the depths of a depression. And um, I remember 
we had this beautiful apartment that we'd moved into and it was meant to be the first step before the next step before the next step. And all of a sudden I'm in the apartment on my own and, you know, I'm looking around and all I can see is the memories, you know? So on one end, you lose that physical companionship that you've become so accustomed to over a long period of time. And then there's also the conception of the future. So whenever I would think about the future, about the impact I wanted to make, I always thought in unitary terms. Sure. So now, now the things have broken down. What is, who am I away from this, right? Away from that institution. And it was one of the scariest things that I'd experienced because I, I legitimately felt like my whole sense of self had dissolved. And then the third component, so the magical trident, there's the envisioned future, which was now in question or pretty much gone. There's a physical companionship, which is gone. And then there is the relational history, the relational trajectory where I'm looking back on everything that happened and questioning, was it ever real? Well, if it was real, would it have ended? You know, so the, the, the sense of loss was quite, was quite visceral, to be honest with you, right? Um, and I remember, so I, I, train in, I train in martial arts and, and that was really the only thing that gave me a sort of escape from the, this, this burden that I felt in my head. It was, it was such a heavy burden and no matter what I did, you know, I looked at all this sort of positive psychology stuff, think happy thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. And to be honest with you, that didn't help. If anything, that made me feel worse about myself because now when I look back, it seems as though I was trying to delude myself into a false sense of happiness, whatever, mm. what, you know, what, 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 whatever that is. So I remember this one day sort of going to training and yeah, I was able to sort of unplug for an hour and 30 minutes. And now I'm going back to the apartment and, you know, I'm, I'm on the tram, you know, going back home and the closer the tram gets to the apartment, you know, that heaviness starts to, mm, starts wagging on you. Oh, it starts coming back in, coming back yeah. in. And by the time I get to the apartment, like I get to the front door and I'm literally like, here we go again. I'm back in this mental state again, and I'm going to have to get through another painful evening. Anyway, I put the, you know, the passcode in, I get on the elevator, I get to the, get to the apartment. I keep the lights off. And the reason I keep the lights off again is the memories it was too hard, mm-hmm. you know? So I walk in through the front door into the living room, sit on the, on the sofa or couch, depending on where you are in the world, <laughs> um, literally head down, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, dude, how, how are you here? You, you know, I, like, cause this was my ego. It's like, like, dude, you, you know, you have so much to offer. Like, how do you, how, you know, how did you find yourself in this situation with all the work you've been doing? Blah, 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 blah. And I really, I was really dejected to be, to be fair. I started to even question my, my fundamental worth as a person, not just as a partner. It's like, okay, if, I invested so much into this and it still wasn't enough. So what does that, what does that say about me? Right. Am I inherently deficient in some areas? Am I, am I so inadequate? You know, these are tough questions to grapple with when you're, you're dealing with that sort of loss, you know, so I'm sitting on the couch, kind of head down. All these questions are going through my mind. And then so something beautiful happens. So a good friend of mine, Stephen, from nowhere he he sends me well he knew about the breakup of course but we weren't engaged in a um ongoing conversation so this was like out of out of out of nowhere i guess he was just checking checking in um so he sends me a gif of the phoenix 
on WhatsApp. Yeah. And underneath the image, it's a quote from Picasso, and it is, every act of creation is first an act of destruction. Mm -hmm. And it was a combination between the imagery and the symbolism of, you know, the phoenix burns itself in its own ashes to rise again. And I've always strongly identified with the phoenix myself. So when I... When I, when I saw that image and I read those words, it was like my, my spirit got a jolt, literally like that. And for the first time in a long time, I felt something other than the heaviness, right? Sure. Doesn't mean the heaviness was gone, but it was like that wasn't all there was. And it was, it was such an exciting feeling. Like, oh, you know, I, f- I feel, you know, reinvigorate. You know, there's something else here yeah, other than this. Yeah, lifting you. Yeah, and then, you know, if you want to call it God, the universe, you know, nature, but there was something I communicated with something greater than what I was feeling, something greater than myself, because if it was down to what I was feeling, I was in a low, low place. And what happened then was I start to, it was almost like watching a highlight reel of my life. It's actually the second time that something like that has happened to me, you know, on my journey where I went back to being a kid in Nigeria and certain things I'd experienced being beaten with horse whip and, you know, being beaten with machetes and all sorts of things through to, you know, moving to Ireland and, you know, struggling to adjust in the first year, year, two years, maybe. And, you know, certain things that had happened, loss of my grandfather who raised me. And then it occurred to me that way, hold on a second. You, the fundamental nature of what you're feeling now you're not necessarily a stranger to this. You know, this is somewhat familiar. This is somewhat familiar in that you felt this before in all these moments. Now, granted, the prevailing conditions are different, but the fundamental element of what you're feeling is the same. Pain, you know pain when you're going through pain, Yeah. right? And the next thought that followed was, okay, you were able to get through it all those times. So, this is painful, but this is not the end for you. And there was something about that, that affirmation that then allowed me for the first time to stop asking what I call disempowering questions, disempowering questions like, why me? How could this happen to me? I'm so, you know, the, the sort of ego driven, like, I'm so great. How could this happen to me? Those, those sorts of questions, um, I will say there is a time and a place because I have this other notion I call um, license to despair. Right. And I think this is particularly important for men where we feel as though we're not allowed to show weakness. You have to be strong all the time and man up, et cetera. No, there are times it takes strength to be weak. Right. At times it, it, it takes strength to be weak, to be vulnerable, to be sensitive to the prevailing circumstances. So I think there is definitely a place and a time and a place for you to feel like, why me? Why is this happening? You know, license to despair. You know, you need to feel those emotions. But. I think for me, I'd gotten to a point where I was fed up of being fed up, sure. if, that, if that makes sense. Sure. I, I was sick, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Um, so it was time to ask some new questions. And so for the first time since the breakup, I just had to ask, like, well, hold on a second. What, what, where did I go wrong? Because literally up until this point, I didn't do anything. You know, I was Mr. Relationship. So you were I questioning, didn't... you were questioning the relationship. You weren't questioning, you were questioning her actions and what the relationship yeah. was like, but you weren't questioning, wait, what's my involvement in this? Oh yeah. No, because up until this point, well, I, I'm the, I'm the, you need to understand Tim, I've been doing the work, right? Sure, this is what my there's nothing wrong there. If you, no, you thought, no. yeah, sure. And, and that's what made it even more frustrating. Cause I'm like, how could I have 
done all the work <laughs> and still been in this situation, still find yeah. myself in this. So that put it actually induced a state of conflict within within me, right? And um, I started to do an audit of my behavior over the course of the relationship. And for the first time, I'm like, oh, wow. Here's an area where I was maybe being a little too domineering. Here's another area where maybe I didn't respect her boundaries, right? Or where I didn't clearly delineate my boundaries. And then when those boundaries were crossed, I was resentful and I didn't express myself, you know? And and it, and this was just blowing my mind. So I, I, I shifted from this sort of, to, from blaming her to now pointing the flashlight on myself. And this was good because this gave me things that I could work on, things that I could improve on. And I started to look at a lot of the material that I'd acquainted myself with over the years and started to ask new questions and gain new insights, questions that I probably wouldn't have, not probably, that I would not have asked while I was in the relationship because they would have threatened my sense of security. For example, one would have been reconciling, you know, the fact that I love my partner with the fact that I feel sexually attracted to other people at the same time, you know, that sexual attraction exists. That was something that I had to, I I suppressed it because I didn't want to deal with that question. I didn't want to go into that. You know what I mean? It was too uncomfortable, but now I had nothing to lose. So I was able to explore some of these questions. And then I start, you know, speaking to, you know, being more open because now I'm engaging in, I'm engaging with myself engaging with my with my shortcomings and my flaws you know getting away from this sort of um ego-based thinking right start to speak with family speak with friends colleagues in the gym strangers i had some phenomenal conversations yeah usually a lot of the time the best conversations are with strangers you tend to share a little bit more for some reason I think it's the, it's the cloak of anonymity, you know, it's yeah. like, I know I, I can tell you anything and I'm never going to see you again. Whereas exactly. if I'm speaking to, you know, someone who knows me well, it's like, I'm kind of mindful of what I'm saying because I want to maintain a certain impression, mm. right? Is that idea that I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am, you know? Um, so I think that's why speaking to strangers is such a powerful thing. Um, but anyways, I start to have these conversations that occur to me that oh wow what this thing that you've just experienced this isn't unique to you this is something that you know we all with all of us oh yeah and that was that was so comforting that was so mm-hmm. comforting and i'm like okay so this isn't indicative of some you know deficiency in in me as an individual mm. right so then i start looking online trying to find people who could i mean find a coach right because at this point towards the end of the relationship i started working with people um i started my coaching practice but i was working as a generalist i would work with anyone it's like you come to me and we try and you know we have a consultation see can i add value and if so we work together right yeah but I, I, I'm trying to find an, you know, another coach who can help me with this stuff. And I came across a lot of individuals with like five steps to win your ex back. And the, the two things that ah. you, you know, and you know, not to talk down on anyone's work or anything, but it just wasn't what, that wasn't what I needed. I knew that that's not what I needed. I needed to mm. continue going deeper within myself. I knew that, you know, I, I didn't want to just you know, try and get my ex back. You know, I had to resolve yeah. a lot of my own issues. Otherwise, the same patterns would have repeated themselves. Sure. And that was when I decided, you know what? Be the change you want to see in the world, you know? So I went out to search for it. It wasn't there. And it's something that I really needed. 
So I decided, well, you know what, let me, let, me, let me focus now on relationships and let me consolidate a lot of these insights that I've gained through, you know, other people's experiences uh, and, and through, you know, my own experiences. And that was how my relationship coaching journey then took this form. But I wouldn't say that's when it started. I would say it started all those Way years then. in Nigeria, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and absolutely. Gee, that's a very long answer. To <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to give you a good no, sense no, of context. No, no, it's good. You give us a bit of context exactly. Mm. So it's the foundation, build the foundation. and yeah. tell us where, where it all happened and where it all came from and where you're heading. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. And I, I love, like, you don't really see or you don't really hear about a lot of people who sit there, I guess, in particular men who sit there going, oh, wait, mm. what? who are invested in relationships or, or want mm-hmm. to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. What am I mm-hmm. doing? What is mm-hmm. she doing? Mm-hmm. How do we make this better? How do we grow mm-hmm. in this? It's not really, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really hear about that. So it mm. is nice that to have that, hear that from you. And it's interesting to hear too, is that these thoughts and these questions started from a young age. Like, again, that's mm. not something that you would think, you know, a lot of people have parents who are divorced, but they don't sit mm. there questioning or sit there wanting to understand just relationships and like, well, how do you, mm. how do you keep them and how do you, how do they unfold in, in a more natural, healthy, beneficial way mm. for two, two people involved? So yeah, that's really great that you have this interest in it and, and, and I've been growing your skills in helping other people throughout it. So that's mm. fantastic. So I guess this is now a question that I'm very curious about and mm-hmm. I think about a lot and I've questioned, asked a lot of people about this question and mm-hmm. um, like friends of mine and, and it'd be nice to just dive into this now with you. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, So the listeners, the question is, how do you know if someone is emotionally invested in you? Now, mm. with a lot of my research, it, people think like the first thing to come to mind is that people think, oh, it's attachment. Like, no, no, no. I'm not talking about unhealthy. To me, un- attachment mm. is unhealthy. I'm talking about how you know someone's emotionally invested in you mm-hmm. in, in a healthy way. Mm, mm, so, mm. so a lot of people, like a different age groups, like I was asking people who are, you know, my age in their 30s or in their 40s, mm-hmm. their 50s, mm-hmm. in different age groups. And mm-hmm. there's no like in, in some people in their relationships are two or three years or 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they still would say, I don't know that my partner's emotionally invested in me. Mm. Okay. So I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. Mm. So mm. We, just like what are some first things I guess that come to your mind here with this question? Yeah, that's that's great. One one thing I'd like to add just on attachment, it's you know, when you when you form a sort of psychological unit with another person or people, depending on, you know, the composition of your dynamic, um, I actually would say that attachment is not a choice, but a fact in the sense that your partner or partners regulate your, you know, your, your, your blood pressure, your heart rate, uh, the level of hormones in your blood, et cetera. And research from the Gottman Institute actually shows this. So I wouldn't say that attachment is unhealthy. I, I think you can have unhealthy attachment. Yeah, right? sure. I think you're gonna, you, but, but, do you mm-hmm, mean like close proximity with someone? Like someone who's close proximity with you, obviously, like they say, if you, it reduces anxiety and stress and just being sleeping next to somebody or do, does all these things. And you do regulate with another because with the whole, you know, mirror neurons, you know, we have mirror yes. neurons in yes. our brain. So obviously mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you take on people's, um, not just their emotions and things, but mm-hmm. their thinking and their behavior. So you kind of, mm-hmm in one way or form, if you're spending a lot of time with that person, they become mm-hmm. kind of 
part of you. But again, that would be something part of you, but not necessarily something that's attached to you. When I think of the word, I think of something that's attached to you that you don't want. So with the word attachment instead of Mm. investment, Mm. investment or part of me or together instead of just, do you understand what Mm. I mean? Yeah, no, no. I hear where I hear where you're coming from. You see, the thing is, I'm when, when I think of attachment, I'm usually thinking, you know, attachment theory, right? So, um, you're probably familiar with this. So, attachment theory basically holds that we all have different ways in which we form emotional bonds. Yes, right. And it was a theory uh, put forth by uh, John Balby, the uh, British psychotherapist. And there's sort of different attachment styles. You have the secure attachment style, anxious attachment style, and the avoidant attachment style. And typically, this is your attachment style is typically formed based on your relationship with your primary and secondary caregivers um, during those sort of early developmental years. And that then... um, that that then is carried over into your your adult sort of um, relational dynamics, your intimate relationships, because that basically um, it basically determines your expectations around intimacy and closeness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah. then again, that's sort of that that another that's, thing. Sort of, that, that's another thing. It's so, another so, thing, exactly. Yeah, it just occurred to me actually when you said attachment, you meant something different like you said it's like something something here that i don't want but when i hear attachment i'm thinking of oh just the nature of my expectations around closeness Mm. you know what i mean but in terms of you know going back to the question what comes to my mind when i think of you know emotional investment you know honestly it's hard to say well there's like a this this is this one sort of unitary rule because you know individuals are different mm-hmm. different cultural backgrounds different temperaments etc but it's 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 the little things but i had a conversation actually with a client recently and they were speaking about how their partner does little things for them nothing grandiose right so they'll bring them you know they know the kind of coffee that they like right and sometimes if they're stressed you know, without even asking their partner might, you know, make them a cup of coffee, right? Mm. Or just, you know, help them pack their gym bag, little things like that. And, you know, to me, acts of service, you know, in that fashion denote emotional investment because I have to be, you know, somewhat invested in your well-being to even pick up on the fact that, oh, Tiff isn't, she doesn't look like she's in the best form. Mm. You know what I mean? And and like you said, you spend so much time with someone, you really become attuned to, you know, their nominal workings or at least some of their nominal workings to the point where you can identify, oh, you know, they're, they seem like they're in a good mood or they look like they, you know, they don't want to be disturbed right now, et cetera. Um, Another thing could be, um, particularly, let's say if you're just dating, right. And this sort of cuts across, you know, across the board, across cultural lines, et cetera, is does this person, is this person, you know, actively trying to make plans, you know, with you plans to sort of deepen, deepen your ties. And it doesn't have to be anything again, because I think we tend to think of the grandiose, right? Oh, you know, making plans or are they, you know, booking flights to Milan, et cetera. No, it's just gonna be like, Oh, you know, it would be nice to speak to you on the phone. Right. It would be nice to meet for a coffee or, you know, whatever the case may be, but it's those little things, those little bids, let's call them bids for attention. Right. I'm making a bid for attention. I must be invested. You know, I must be invested to some extent. Otherwise, that I'm not making bids for attention. 
kind of sure i get what you mean like you know time time and attention someone's giving you their time someone's noticing things in you or being attuned to you so why are then people who are in long-term relationships three years four years five years or whatever and they still say i don't know my partner's emotionally invested in me that is, that's, that's and, and, there's, and there's things that are happening. There's obviously like I can see that, that, you know, they do make time for the future. They do think about or talk about doing, having plans for the future mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they are in tune that, oh, the part, mm-hmm. you know, their mm-hmm. partner's upset with them or something's going on or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And mm-hmm. they're aware of all these things, but mm-hmm. yet they still, the other person still doesn't know. Oh, I yeah. don't know if my partner's emotionally invested in me. So that right. part that's kind of not adding up as to what you're talking about. Like I, I get all these different things and they, I'm sure they're mm. happening, but mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. still are unaware or, or they don't feel mm-hmm. that a person is emotionally invested in them. No, that's a good question. And again, you know, when we were talking of, you know, things like, you know, time, attention, again, you have to take nuance into account. But what I would say is if a lot of these things are already sort of unraveling in your relationship, so you are spending time, you are, you know, doing things to to each other for each other you are attuned to each other's emotions and all that but you're still feeling like i'm not sure if my partner is emotionally invested and what i would say is that's an invitation for you to probe further you know what i mean that's where you need to look within so try and try and dissect that feeling you know and and typically what comes to my mind is if you still feel in spite of all these other components, you still feel as though you're, there's a question mark around their investment, then it's probably the case that you, some of your needs aren't being met. Some of your fundamental needs aren't being met. So it would be a good idea to get clear on, try and start exploring what are my wants and what are my needs, right? The wants are, it's nice to have. So again, maybe your partner is doing these acts of service and, you know, they make the dinner reservations every now and again, but maybe that's just a nice to have for you, but maybe some of your deeper needs aren't being met. For example, um, I spoke with someone who they've been in a long-term, long-term marriage, 14 years, right? And, you know, with their partner, they now had a, they had a child and, you know, they love their partner to bits, right? She said, like, I love the life that we've built together. I love the direction that we're heading, you know, the future that we speak of for us as, you know, two partners, but also for, for our child. And yeah, I'm super grateful, et cetera. But, but there is something within me that isn't satisfied. So mm. we started to probe further. I'm like, okay, where, where, when did you start feeling this way? And she goes, oh, I've been feeling this for a few years now. I'm like, okay tell me, tell me about some of the things you like. And she starts to tell me how she loves the deep conversations, that there's nothing that excites her more, that she's more, gets more excited by a deep conversation than she would by the prospect of going away. So I'm like, ah, huh, that's really interesting. So the next question I ask is, so I'm assuming yourself and your partner, you, you spend a lot of time engaging in deep, stimulating conversations, seeing as this is something that's so important to you. And then, you know, she paused and then she says, well, actually, no, whenever I try to engage with them, they think, oh, well, you, I don't have time for this right now. Or why do we always have to go so deep? Mm. So what's happening is because deep stimulating conversations are so important to her, that's a need. She has that need to be stimulated and to be engaged in that way, right? So now you have a situation where 
they've got a beautiful life, you know, based on any sort of whatever external paradigm you want to use to judge what they have. You know, they live in a lovely home. They go on family holidays. The finances are taken care of. But why, why still, why still does she not feel satisfied? Is because that need, her need for sort of intellectual stimulation, or at least whatever that looks like to her, that's not being met. That's not being met. And, and, and interestingly enough, she started to question, well, well if, he, if he really cares for me, then surely he would have these conversations knowing, knowing just how important they are to me and you know, what, what, what I would get from a conversation like this. So it's all about the probing. You know what I mean? Sure, if you, sure. If you feel genuine, like, oh, you, you know, because again, like, 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 you, like you pointed out, those things that we mentioned, those sort of, you know, kind of surface level things, mm, right? yeah. those surface level things, but, but, but not to paint everyone with, you know, with the same brush because to some people that time, you know, so the fact that my partner would go out of their way to, to book, you know, make a dinner reservation, maybe that's fit, fulfilling one of my deeper needs, but it's, it's for each individual to determine and to ascertain, well, what are my needs? How do I distinguish between them? And then you have an honest conversation like, okay, which of my needs aren't being met? You know what I mean? What are my expectations around what a relationship should be? What a relationship should look like? What my role is within the relationship? What my partner's oh. role should be? You know what I mean? Yeah. So so you're saying that your, your needs are in correlation with your of emotions, your emotional investment. So someone who meets your needs is emotionally invested in you. Is that what you're trying to say? Um, not, nece- not necessarily because then, then again, you, you go into sort of, um, if you look at sort of narcissistic relationships or where there's somebody who is being, you know, abusive, uh, somebody who is of that um, predisposition could meet your needs, but, you know, becoming from a manipulative place, but then again, you might argue that okay, they're invested, but they're invested, they're invested in a sort of negative way. Or I'm sure I could probably phrase that better. Like, is all investment good investment? You know what I mean? I could be emotionally oh. invested in someone because I want to harm them. Yes, you know yes. what I mean? So it's hard to say for certain. But 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 a good, you know, a good place to start would be identifying those needs for yourself. Like what. What do you, why do you, why do you want what you want? Yeah. Yeah. And sure. what, what do you want? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. But would you say like, like emotional investment, like to me, when I think of emotional investment, I think somebody who brings me into their life, I, mm. I, I brings me into their life with their family. I'm, I'm okay. at the family, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. with the, you know, relative to if, if anything's going on with the family, it be right. weddings or birthdays or funerals mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. problems or whatever. I'm in, I'm, I'm brought into the world. I'm brought into their world mm. with, with, and, you know, with their friends or their best friends mm. or whatever's going on there, or I'm truly mm-hmm. brought into their world. That to mm-hmm. me correlates with, oh, this person's emotionally invested in me. You know what? I, I love that you just shared that because that means when you think about emotional investment, you're cl- so you're clear on this denotes emotional investment. So you're bringing me into your world, right? This denotes emotional investment. So it's like for, for some individuals, some individuals may not want to, they don't want to get involved with 
their partner's family or, you know what I, they want, I want to keep this here, me, you know, with me and you. So it's, it's, this is why it's for each individual to determine what does that look like? What does that look like for you? But um, I'm sure, you know, it's taken you, you know, you've been on a journey even to be able to articulate, oh, this is what emotional investment looks like to me. Right. It's not like there wasn't an external person who came to tell you, hey, Tiff, this is what it looks like. This is emotional investment. It it must have been come from different experiences that you had and you consolidated and like, oh, okay, you know, historically, whenever I felt like I've been brought in, that has denoted emotional investment. You know what I mean? Like, so for for me, for example, um, what 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 denotes emotional investment? for me is when somebody is curious about curious about, you know, sort of my mission, you know, they want to know more, you know, the curiosity is very important to me yeah. because if you're, if you're curious and, you know, you're sort of aware that we're constantly changing, we're constantly evolving and you want to stay, you know, you want to stay abreast of okay, wh- what's going on in your life today. Like, you know, who, who are the heroes and villains <laughs> in your life today, you know, shout out to the Gottman Institute there. And um, so for me, when I'm, when I'm with somebody who has or harbors that curiosity, then that tells me, Oh, they're, they're emotionally invested. Mm. You know, when they're interested in what I'm doing and what my vision is, they ask me questions about my family. They want to, you know, they, they, they want that sense of equanimity. So similar, similar to you. And, and also another key one for me is when they start to, like you said, when they start to let me in, Right. Tell me about their vision because it's a, it's a, it has to be a sort of symbiotic um, sure. situation. So that for me is what denotes, um, you know, emotional investment. That's so interesting you say that. Like, you know, the, the whole, is it the same? Like if you're in a partnership, what you see mm. is what they're doing is emotionally invested in you. Like, like you said, curiosity and, and mm. someone who knows how to like, you know, ask you questions or explore you yeah. and your emotion. Mm-hmm. That to me is so highly important. So yes. I understand that completely. And that to me, and that kind of correlates with me, them bringing me into their world. So, like, to me, it's mm. like a, you have to have so both. Push and pull. Yeah. Push and pull, yeah. So I wonder if if these are the important – if this is what you think emotional investment is and what I think emotional investment is, can mm-hmm. we be only with people who think the same about emotional investment? Hmm. That like is a good you, question. So it's what, like well, you would, have to be on yeah. par with what is emotional investment to you, to, mm. and then that's when the relationship actually works. If someone's right. what, someone, one person considers what you're doing as emotionally invested is different to what you think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or different to how you behave, mm-hmm. are those – like so different hmm. that, that that doesn't work. Like I don't know. I'm just it's just well, a you know, no, that's, that's an interesting question. What what I would say is for for me personally, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't work because that that need for significance in my partner's life, you know, to feel like okay, I'm important to them, and you know, they are curious about me and they're letting me that like that for me is a very, that's a fundamental need. So if I were with somebody who, you know, didn't place the same sort of premium on those facets of, you know, what I term, what I deem to be emotional, emotional investment, then it wouldn't work for me. However, at the same time, you might have two individuals who are operating from two different paradigms, two different value systems. And person A says, well, this is what emotional investment means to me, right? And person B says, well, this is how I see emotional investment, right? 
if even if those two conceptions of emotional investment are different, because you know uh, something I've been thinking about a lot is that harmony does not equal sameness. Mm. So even if those two conceptions of emotional investment are are different, if we have a respect for each other's differences and this were this, this very important and we are both okay we're both okay with that so okay i see emotional investment as a willingness to want to know more about me and you know sort of your willingness to show me more about you and create the sense of equanimity but that's not how they see it they see it in this other way am i okay with that you know what i mean am i okay with that well because because exactly what we're saying like generally the way you see something or Mm. the way you want to receive something is the what you tend to give yes so if they're not matching it's like i'm i'm showing this person i'm emotionally invested i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing this but they don't see emotional investment in the same way Mm. you almost can't i don't think it could work it, it, it's very, it's very interesting. I think that um, I, I would say that because I don't want to say I don't want to be absolutist and say it couldn't work because we are we're we're malleable, right? Mm, we sure. are constantly changing our minds. So maybe, right? So maybe my conception of what emotional investment is maybe that comes from comes from my familial background, right? Mm. This was what how my parents interacted with each other and that has now informed my view on emotional investment but life is all about exposure and when we're exposed to you know new people new environments you know it's very common that we revise things so perhaps on meeting this person who has a different view on emotional investment perhaps that opens up my mind and maybe i come to a place where i you know i'm 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 at peace with the fact that we, we we see things differently. Like there was this little Wayne song. There's a line in the song called um, "We walk the same path, but we've got on different shoes. Live in the same building, mm. but we got different views. You know, so we can live in the same building and have different views. Insofar as we're okay with the different views, you know what I mean? Because every, you know there there are going to be certain things that. So maybe you're not showing your investment in the way that I've been accustomed to, but then I come to learn about what emotional investment means to you. And then I start to see you invest in the way that's pertinent to you, which tells me that actually she is emotionally invested, even though she's not, you know what I mean? Even though she's point. Yeah, even though they're not manifesting it in the way that I've been accustomed to, but because I have, I understand or I have an understanding of their value system, I'm then able to identify those moments wherein they are showing me their investment. So, so it's it, like, the, yeah, it works. I kind of get what you're saying. Like then what came to mind as you were saying all of that is like the love mm. languages. Showing yes. your partner how yes. they want to be loved is the same way showing your partner how they want, how you want to show emotional investment. It's yes. Like, obviously, yes. there's different things to look at instead of the five that we know. Yeah. Um, with emotional investment, you have to you have to probe to find out. Yes. How do they mm-hmm. need emotional investment? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so true. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, um, you know, understanding leads to compassion. You know what I mean? If I don't understand, but, oh, you're going. Sorry. Another thing that came to mind is people don't want to ask someone or tell someone how do you need to be emotionally invested. It's something that you want to see on its own. You don't want to tell someone to do it. 
So then that's kind of the... This is where it gets tricky because, of course, that's not romantic, right? To, you no. know, I don't want to ask or, you know, it should just be, be obvious. Natural. It should or be natural. natural. Yeah. But I, I, I can't help but feel like that is a romantic ideal, right? And sometimes these ideals can get in the way of, you know, the, the functionality of our relationships. Like, would you not rather take or or sort of manifest your agency by seeking out these answers through conversation as opposed to sort of being reactive like maybe over time things will you know there comes a point where you need to well, could you indirectly ask control. i'm thinking maybe you ask in the past or you ask your partner indirectly mm-hmm. about their other relationships or their relationships with their parents or, or past loves you know how did you know that somebody was emotionally invested in you Indirectly, instead of saying, you know, exactly what you should do or what you shouldn't do or or how you want it to be done to you. Yeah, you know, even, you know, so so I think that's a great, that would be a great question to ask. And even in saying, so instead of saying, well, this is how I... I require your emotional investment to be shown. No, maybe it's like, oh, um, here's how... um, using use, using that question so in my previous relationships or you know in the previous experiences that i've had this is how i've known if you know the other person was emotionally invested because mm. such and such is important to me you know as opposed to well you know if i'm going to be with you you've got to do <laughs> that's just going to make me naturally resistant i'm like yeah. i don't owe you anything you know what i mean um yeah. so yeah i think i think i think that would be a great way of you know asking like how in in the past what has that been you know what does this look like to you and how, how how have you historically been able to tell if someone was emotionally invested? And then you could say, well, here's how I've been able to tell. So you, you know, make a bid for, make a bid for understanding. Cause when you're asking a question, it's a bid for understanding. And then you, you know, offer your own experiences or you could just ask straight up, like what does emotional investment look like to you? Depending yeah, on. Yeah, that's true. That's Depending asking them what dynamic. it looks like. That's so true because yeah. maybe somebody doesn't know as well. They don't, they have no one's emotionally invested in them. Mm. So how do they know? How do they right. know what that is, or or how or feels like, or anything like that? Maybe they they they've given it, but they don't. They haven't received it. Mm. There you go. So if it's a if you ask, you know, you pose that question, and the other person's like, oh, I, I don't know. Well, that's very useful insight, even for 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 them, because then they can think about it. And then, you know, that allows you then to share your perspective and that may get them thinking along, you know, similar lines. And either way, like by asking questions, you're opening up the floodgates to, you know, sort of unlimited potentiality because we're so complex. With emotional investment, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, you said there were three, three attachment types, the avoidance yes, attachment yes. type. Is that why people are unable to show? Yeah. So typically, um, you know, and studies have shown that avoidance the last thing they want to do is to bring someone into their world. Because if I bring you into my world, then that means I'm now vulnerable. And if I'm vulnerable, that means you can potentially hurt me. So I'm going to keep you at bay because, well, how can you hurt me if I never truly let you in, in the first place? Right. And then consequent, like, you know, on the converse, from the perspective of an individual with an anxious attachment style. So studies have shown that avoidance tend to be with, you know, people who are anxious. And the reason for this is they actually reinforce each other's views around intimacy. 
So if you have an anxious attachment style, then you, you, you desire that closeness. You want, probably want to be a part of your partner's life. You want to be close to them, et cetera, yeah. right? But then an avoidant is on the other end of the spectrum. They, they, they want to keep you as far away as possible so that they're not vulnerable. Now, by being with an anxious, somebody who's anxiously attached, that reinforces the avoidance view that, well, you know, yeah, intimate partners just want to infringe upon my individuality and my ah, independence. So that's sure. the story. That's the story that they're telling themselves, right? And yeah, then yeah. on the on the from the perspective of the person who's anxiously attached, the fact that they were the avoidant that reaffirms the notion that oh well, my romantic partners can never meet my needs. You know, it's it's always an yeah, uphill yeah, yeah. battle to to gain closeness. So they actually reinforce by being together. They reinforce each other's beliefs and expectations around intimacy. Isn't that something? That's something. That's crazy. So they're unable to show the avoidance, unable to really show the per- type partner that they have an yeah. emotional investment in them. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Like I, I just so I so love this question. Like it really just keeps on, <laughs> on, on you know, opening up some more thoughts and questions on mm. this because it's so interesting. And I guess you know, I, you know, a lot of things that you just that we've just mentioned have mm. really highlighted that you need to kind of probe for it, like yes. Uh, yes. ask the right questions to find out, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. it's relative to you know understanding what the other person needs so that you can show them or give them or show them that you're emotionally. In, invested and and understand what Mm. that means to you and you know i guess if you don't want to you can bring it in like you're saying like oh in the past i this is how i feel or this is how i define emotional investment like it should be Mm -hmm. a topic of conversation basically what you're saying yeah yeah absolutely and 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 what what i would add is don't be scared of these sort of um uncomfortable conversations because i've had a lot of people say to me like oh before getting into a relationship, I'm always worried and weary about, you know, saying certain things or expressing my wants because I don't want to be seen as coming on too strong or too intense, etc. But I always say that if by, you know, putting your cards on the table and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for, you know, these are some of the things I like, etc. If by doing that, you you scare off, you scare somebody off, then that means you you weren't going to be compatible anyway. So that's a, that's a good thing. So it's best to have these sort of, you know, tense, um, uncomfortable conversations early on, if possible. But I mean, you can have the conversations at any point, right? It's better than not having the conversation at all. But the earlier you have these conversations, then I think the, the you know, the more clarity, you know, all parties can move, move forward with, you know, as it pertains to, you know, building that institution. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say though? That, so like back to the first in the beginning there, when I mentioned, mm. if someone's in a relationship for three or five years or whatever, and then they say, I, I don't feel that emotional intact. Um, investment mm-hmm. from my partner and mm-hmm. after having this conversation with me like I, I just feel like you know if that's something that they're unable to either express or share or say or or something like or they haven't felt in five years or, to, or for a period mm-hmm. of time like mm-hmm. is there something is that kind of like a, a point in time where this person just won't be emotionally invested in me or they never were as well mm-hmm. I would say you know potentially Maybe, but either way, if you, if you're having that feeling and it's been, you know, three, four, five years, 
a conversation needs to be had realistically. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Maybe, you know, maybe you struggle to have conversations like this, right? Or that the resentment has built up to the point where you can't even fathom sitting down with this person. But in in order to move forward, you know, because that's sort of like a gridlock situation. And I think the only way you can start to open things back up is by communicating. Um, John Gottman gave a TED talk in, um, I think it was at Venice Beach. He talks about the science of love. And he he presents this sort of what he calls the magical trident, right, for um, evoking a state of a positive affect in your partner. So if you're in a positive affect state, it means that you are more open to taking in what they're saying, mm. irrespective of whether or not you agree with the points being made. Cause I don't have to agree with you to take in what you're saying. And he talks about um, how physiological calm is very important because if I approach a conversation and I'm like overly aroused, that's going to, rub off on the other person so there's a state of sort of physiological calm and the other two elements are sort of trust and commitment but um trust he defines trust as a situation wherein both parties are sort of bringing they're trying to maximize the benefits of a particular situation for each individual right and then commitment essentially bringing your partner you know to to mind. So seeing things from their perspective, like how, how would they interpret a particular situation? So for example, if I know that, you know, my partner is somebody who gets really defensive over certain things, what I might do is, you know, before sharing, before having this conversation, again, physiological calm, and then I'm going to say something to them that reaffirms their sort of their value to me so that they don't feel as though they're being attacked, right? Mm. So I might say something like, you know, babe, honey, whatever, whatever sort of pet names you want to use. I would like to, I, I would like to share something with you that's really bothering me. But before we have this conversation, I just want you to know that I really appreciate you. I, you know, I appreciate what we have, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you sort of find what works for you. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to reaffirm their value to you right so that they don't feel as though what you're going to say next is a direct attack on them as an individual their 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 character and then that will make them less resistant and less defensive and kind of keep them in an empathetic state so they can take in what you're saying so want to set the tone you know that this where sort of being 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 aware of you know what is your partner like you know, cause some people, some people prefer you to be direct. Let me, let me have it as it is. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, look, you know, the sex isn't great right now. Some people just need, need to that. hear it like that. Right. And yeah, they won't yeah. take it personally. They, they, they want to, okay, brilliant. So it's not great. And then they can j- jump right exactly. into you no know, solutions. But for some people you tell them, oh, the sex isn't great. All of a sudden I, my whole identity is called into question. Yeah. So you want to be cognizant of the kind of individual that you're dealing with. Right. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Sensitive it's- to the other person. Yeah, so true. Something you just like, as you were bringing up there, like trust. Like, yes. I, I, would you say sometimes people who are unable to or allow you to be kind of or, or show you emotional investment because they still don't trust you as well? So, like, some people are in relationships mm-hmm. and they still have mm-hmm. major trust issues. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. Is that in that's kind of that would be you know in him like affecting emotional yeah. investment. I could certainly see how that could be the case. I mean if I don't if I don't if I feel as though you don't really care about my well-being then I'm less inclined to invest in you know what whatever this is. You know what I mean? I I actually had um just before we hopped on, I had another interview. I, I, um, I interviewed a friend of mine. Her name is Cameron. And um, she, she has this lifestyle blog called Just Us Gals where she shows um, – she, she, she wants to kind of shine the spotlight on female entrepreneurs who are doing sort of uh, purpose-driven work is, is how she terms it, right? Great, 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 great person. But she was talking about how she had to leave. So she's from Boston, Right. Her and her husband is from Atlanta, and he decided that he well he got an opportunity to work here in Dublin, right? So he says, "Her look, this is such a great opportunity. How can I pass this up?" And she said that she came with him, right? She accompanied him on this journey, yeah. left everything she knew, her family, her friends, her routine, everything, to embark on this you know, venture to, to Ireland. I said, but the reason she was able, cause I asked her like, that must've been a tough, you know, leaving everything that you've known. Hmm. He said it was tough. Right. However, I trusted that Mike cared about my well being, And I knew that if we had arrived and I said, Hey, here are certain elements of this current situation that are no longer working for me, or, you know, this is causing me discomfort or this such and such is detrimental that he would acknowledge her pain points. Yeah. So trusting in his judgment allowed her to make that leap. So I can certainly see how, you know, the reverse. So if I don't trust that you care for my well-being, or, you know, that you would take my grievances seriously, well, why would I invest in you? Why would I, I mean, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't, you know, if I didn't, if I felt like I was engaging with someone, but I, didn't really feel like they didn't really care about my well-being. I would be very, very skeptical and very apprehensive, and I, and, and rightly so. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, right, and rightly so. You know, exactly. So true. So mm. true. Well, mm. thank you so much, Harry. This has been a beautiful conversation. I really much love diving deep into this with you. Yes, something, yes. Something I like to ask my guest speakers at the end and before mm-hmm. we hop off is, how has this conversation really highlighted anything to you, or made you reflect a bit differently? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that to give you, you know, a mean to to answer that question meaningfully, I would have to have I would have to reflect on this conversation. Do you know what I mean? I, I would need to go back and reflect. But one thing that is on my mind is this idea of, and I think I'm going to ask this to my to my coaching community next Saturday. Is I'm now curious. So you shared with me sort of what emotional investment represents to you. And I shared with you what it looks like to me. I'm actually now curious to figure out or to hear from other people, what does emotional investment look like to you? You know, I want to try and paint a broader picture because I'm sure there are other perspectives and, you know, things that maybe I would deem to be inconsequential that other people think are very important. So that's actually something that I'm now, I'm curious to explore this question further you know, so thank you for, thank you for, for, you know, putting this conversation together because now I'm, I'm even, I've got more questions. <laughs> I've got more <laughs> questions. 
Exactly. That's fantastic. And that's great because that's what we're going to do on our Get to Know You Cafe listeners. As you know, we send, mm. um, we're going to hear your perspectives of what you think emotional investment is to you and how do you know mm. if someone is emotionally invested in you to uh, bring so up on, on the cafe. Yeah, so you'll be able to hear so that. So interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be great to get the listeners from So Thank you so much, Harry. Thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Tiff. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Get to Know You. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate, review, and share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can tag me at Get to Know You with Tiffany Farrah. In my mission to open conversations and access deeper dialogue, I want to hear from you listeners. The question again, how do you know if someone is emotionally invested in you? Leave an audio, video, or a message on the Facebook or Instagram page of your response to today's question, including your name and where you are from. We will include some different responses in next week's Get to Know You Cafe to further deepen dialogue on this topic. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss, be sure to tag me in a post with your question. Join us every Tuesday on Get to Know You.